Welcome to the Bay Area Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to make passionate, maturing followers of Jesus from here to the nations. We hope you will be changed by this message and invite you to visit us in the greater Annapolis area. If you would like to learn more about our church and ministries, please visit our website at bayareacc.org. Well, in the midst of COVID and racial tensions, uncertainty about schools and finances and health, tropical storms, where do we set our gaze? And the answer is Jesus. My name is Greg St. Cyr. I have the joy of serving as the lead pastor here and welcoming you this morning. If you're watching online from your home, we're especially thrilled that you've tuned in to our, to our Odenton and Easton family. A special shout out to you all. I was in a car last week with a friend of mine and he said this to me. He said, Greg, everybody around me seems depressed. My wife is discouraged. My oldest daughter is discouraged. Several of my friends are depressed. Tuesday morning, I was working on this message, and that was right in the middle of Tropical Storm Isaias. And it came through, and there's all this, this rain that's just plummeting down, and there's the, the wind and the thunder. And I thought, that's the way it feels like right now. I mean, it feels like we're in the midst of a tropical storm. Are we ever going to get out of it? Well, it's during a time like this that we especially need God's wisdom. That's why we're in the book of Proverbs and looking at wisdom from Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 7 and 8 says this, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. I don't know about you, but I need some healing. I need some refreshment down in my bones. So I've been praying, Lord, what does our church family need right now during this season? There's two things I want to talk about. One of them I'm going to share today. The other, you'll have to come back next week to hear the, the next one. As I was thinking about this, my mind went back 30 years ago. 30 years ago to this picture and to an event that took place shortly after that. Now, that is, that is our second child, Kathy. She's two years old. She had just caught her very first fish. We're on a family vacation. And uh, the reason this is so memorable is because, not because of the fish, because of what happened that evening. That evening, our precious Kathy just began running around the house screaming at the top of her lungs. And as it turned out, she had a double ear infections. She had conjunctivitis. And I remember her running around in this cabin and actually lying down on the coolness of the hardwood floor in order to get some relief. And so Mary Kay and I took her to the clinic and the doctor prescribed to her some good medicine. He prescribed amoxicillin. Now, those of you who are parents with young kids, we thank the Lord for amoxicillin, do we not? We say, thank you, Jesus, for Augmentin or any kind of antibiotic that helps. The world this morning is in need of some amoxicillin. It's in need of some good medicine. 
Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22 is our verse this morning. It reads like this. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Let's read that out loud together, shall we? Read it with me from home and in the auditorium. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. I want you to think about a joyful person in your life right now. What are the characteristics of somebody who is absolutely filled with joy? If you're online, go ahead and share with those. Type in characteristics of somebody that is just filled with joy. I think of one individual and when I think about her, every time I see her, it's like she's bright-eyed. There's a countenance that, of delight and her words are always encouraging. A person like that is indeed good medicine. You want to be around people like that. In contrast, it says, a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Now, when the Bible uses crushed or broken spirit, often it uses it in a positive light. It talks about those who are broken and contrite of spirit. That means people who are humble and that's a good thing. But here, it's actually used in a negative light. Someone who has a crushed spirit is somebody who is downcast, who is discouraged, who has a depressed spirit about them. And it says a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Now, that's a figure of speech that references our entire body. Somebody who has a crushed spirit, it affects their entire being. Their bones are dry, which is to say there's a lack of vigor. There's a lack of life. There's a lack of enthusiasm and strength. But a joyful heart is good medicine. Now, for all who are discouraged, despondent, disappointed, disillusioned, dissatisfied, I've got good news for you this morning. God has some good medicine. That medicine is joy. Even medical science validates how happiness and joy are good for our bodies. There's a professor, his name is Dr. Ed Diner. He's at the University of Illinois. He spent most of his life researching the effects of joy and happiness on the body. This is what he says. Happy people tend to live longer and experience better health than their unhappy peers. That is, feeling positive about your life, not stressed out, not depressed, contributes to both longevity and better health. He actually found that, quote, joyful music is good for you. He says, laughing actually affects your nervous system in a positive way. He concludes his research by stating, good humor is good medicine. So dance like no one is watching. Sing like you are the star. Whistle while you work and laugh until your eyes water, your belly shakes, and you gasp for air. <laughs> Just reading that makes me want to laugh. Do you feel a little better? Just kind of like chuckling in your soul? Well, this morning I want to 
give you a biblical theology of joy. I wanna say just three things to everyone watching this morning or in the auditorium about joy and then how you can experience this kind of joy. The first thing is this, Jesus wants you to experience fullness of joy. It is the will of Jesus that every person here experience fullness of joy. On the eve that Jesus would be betrayed, in about 12 or 14 hours, he will be nailed to a cross. The circumstances are bleak, yet the Lord Jesus in the upper room says these words to his disciples. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. My joy. We refer to Jesus sometimes as the man of sorrows, and that's true. He was a man of sorrows in that he took our sin debt upon himself. But Jesus is the man of joy. Nobody experiences joy like the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, if you were to try to describe the character of Jesus, you can find no better description than the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And the top, the first three, the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace. Chuck Swindoll says, if God was passing out medals like in the Olympic Games, the gold medal would go to love, the silver medal would go to joy, and the bronze medal would go to peace. And I think he's absolutely right. Jesus is a man of absolute joy. And he says, I want to take my joy and put it in you so that your joy can be made full. That is absolutely incredible that you and I can experience the joy of Jesus by union with Jesus and communion with Jesus. That's the first thing. Now, the second thing is this. You can have sorrow and still be joyful. You can have sorrow and still be joyful. I learned this powerful lesson about four years ago through Mary Kay's mom, Sue Myers, my mother-in-law. For 13 years, she battled cancer. She had multiple surgeries, radiation, chemo. The last time that I would, with Mary Kay, would visit with her in Birmingham, Alabama, we went to her oncologist appointment. We were sitting there together, she's in a wheelchair, and we're waiting for her to be called. As she's sitting there, something drops out of her little notepad. And this note fell to the ground. Mary Kay picked it up and read it to her mom. And this is that note. True joy is a byproduct of living in my presence. Joy is not dependent on your circumstances. Shortly after reading that note, Sue was called, the nurse came out and said, Sue Myers and Mary Kay pushed her mom towards that nurse. The nurse looked at her and said, hello, Sue, my name is Joy. The following morning would be the last time I would spend with Sue as I would drive back to Annapolis after lunch. 
That morning when I got up, Sue was already up reading the Bible. I approached her, she's sitting on the living room couch, and she looked at me with a huge smile. She said, Greg, let's plan my funeral. That's what she said. And I said to her, Sue, I would love to do that. And she said, I know exactly the theme of my funeral. It is joy. That's the theme. And then she said, I want this song sung. I had never heard this song before. The song, 10,000 Joys. I don't think I was old enough. I think it's a Bill Gaither song. 10,000 Joys is what she wanted sung. You see, you can have sorrow and joy at the same time. How do I know that to be the case? Because the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, he says, look, we are servants of Christ, but we've been through all kinds of hardships, all kinds of afflictions. We've been in imprisonments and sleepless nights. And then he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Joy and sorrow can cohabitate together. Not that long ago, I did a funeral during COVID of David Franklin. And when I saw his wife that morning, young wife, Danielle, she was crying and beaming with joy simultaneously. Joy and sorrow commingle together. The third thing that we need to know about joy is this. Joy is actually found in a most un unexpected place. Joy is found, are you ready? In affliction. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4, Paul writes, I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. I had to look this up in various translations. And so it says in the New English translation, I am overflowing with joy in the midst of all our suffering. The NIV. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. The New King James. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. This little word, affliction, it literally means to press in on. It is the word for pressure. You see, when you undergo pressure, What's on the inside actually comes out. And Paul says that the affliction actually brings out the joy. I learned this through Oswald Chambers. Now Oswald Chambers, his devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, is, uh, has been read by more people than any other devotional. On March 7th, he writes these words. Huge waves that would frighten an ordinary swimmer produce a tremendous thrill for the surfer who has ridden them. Now pause for just a moment. You're a swimmer and all of a sudden these giant waves are coming in and what do you do? You leave. <laughs> You're afraid. But what does the surfer do? The surfer says, hallelujah, <laughs> this is going to be amazing. I'm filled with joy. These waves are bringing me joy. Joy. 
Let's apply that to our own circumstances. The things we try to avoid and fight against, tribulation, suffering, and persecution, are the very things that produce abundant joy in us. In all these things. Not in spite of them, but in the midst of them. A saint doesn't know the joy of the Lord in spite of tribulation, but because of it. Paul knew the joy of the Lord, not in spite of the affliction, but in the midst of it. And the affliction and the pressure that God sovereignly puts and allows around our life is designed so that you and I, from the inside, would burst forth joy. It was December of 1986 or maybe January of 1987. It was our first year in communist Poland, Mary Kay and I. And it was the coldest winter in Poland in 200 years. The temperature on this particular day, and I fact-checked this with my wife, was minus 40 degrees. We were driving back from our language school Everything was gray. They use coal to warm homes. And so everything has like a thin layer of coal dust. And we're driving back. I'm driving my Fiat Regatta diesel on Ulita Rakowitz. That was the street. Cemetery on my left. And all of a sudden, I'm flooded with emotions. Now, there's no internet, there's no FaceTime, there's no communication. We're under communist oppression. And all of a sudden, I began banging on the steering wheel. Mary Kay is in the passenger seat, and I'm banging on the steering wheel as we're driving. And I begin to shout, you gotta love it here. You gotta love it here. You just gotta love it here. And Mary Kay looks over at me and says, Greg, I don't love it here. I don't even like it here. Just be glad that I'm here. <laughs> now, I tell you that because it was like a supernatural expression of joy. God wants us to have that day in and day out, even in the midst of coronavirus, even in the midst of an uncertain economy, even in the midst of racial tension, you can have joy. Jesus wants you to experience fullness of joy. Sorrow and joy can cohabitate together and joy is found in an unexpected place, a place called affliction. Now, if all that is true, the question on the table then is, would somebody tell me how to experience this kind of joy? I mean, that sounds great, Greg, but how do I actually experience it? And there's two things I want to say. The second one builds upon the first. The first one is this. You've got to know the source of true joy. This is where most people get confused. Most people think that joy and happiness are synonymous. And most people don't understand biblical joy. And because they don't understand biblical joy, they pursue her counterfeit, which is known as happiness. Happiness never lasts. 
Happiness is contingent upon circumstances. At some point in time, our circumstances are going to go south and our happiness is going to fly away. So happiness is a counterfeit. God wants to give us the true joy. I want you to think about something that makes you happy. Now, this is not a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. The thing I'm thinking about right now is my family vacation that's going to happen in about a week and a half. And all of our children, all of our grandchildren are going to be together. And that creates happiness. If you're online, go ahead and type in something that makes you happy. You're in the no guilt zone. You're in the guilt-free zone, no judgment zone here. Happiness is not a bad thing. Happiness is a gift from God. And yet when we pursue happiness as if life revolved around our happiness, now life becomes a roller coaster, does it not? And happiness is contingent upon two words, if and when. I will be happy when coronavirus comes to an end. Oh, I would just be happy if they found a vaccine for this pandemic. I'll be happy if I get my first car. That was me, 16 years old. The only thing I cared about as a 16-year-old was getting a car. And so I got a car, a 1965 bright red Ford Mustang, straight cylinder six. Man, I loved that car. I was happy. And then eight months later, I crashed it. And happiness is fleeting, is it not? So you get that, right? We think if I get the dream job or if I get the promotion or the right relationship, the pursuit of happiness leads us to an up and down life of temporal pleasure followed by disappointment. That is not joy. There is a source of true joy. Paul talks about it. He writes about it from a prison. In, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, he says... Read this with me at home and here in the auditorium. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Here we see the object, the foundation, the basis of our joy. Joy is found in the Lord. Happiness is contingent upon circumstances going our way. Where joy is found in the Lord. Now... I want to share something with you that I did not grasp until about 10 years ago. And it absolutely changed my understanding of joy. That there is a relationship between the word joy and grace. That grace and joy are interconnected to each other. If you don't remember anything else I'm telling you this morning, this will transform your understanding of where you find Joy. Okay, the word joy in Greek in your Bible is the word kara, kara. The word grace is the word charis. Now, do you see that these two words share the same root, C-H-A-R, car? Now, if you study that word, the root, car, the New International Dictionary of the New Testament says this, words formed from the root car indicate things which produce well-being. So in other words, both grace and joy produce within us well-being. Let's talk about grace. 
I'm wondering at home, if anybody has the name Grace or here in the auditorium or the word, the name Charis, let me, or the, the name Joy or the word Kara, these are some of the most beautiful words in the entire New Testament. If that's your name, you are doubly blessed for having a name like that. Now, we know about grace. Grace is God's unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. Grace is God's goodness that comes to us, his goodness that comes to us when we do not deserve it, cannot pay for it, and cannot earn it. This is God's grace to us. Now, let me, let me illustrate. Think about grace in your own life. A synonym for grace is gift. When somebody gives you a grace bomb, shout out Pat now. When somebody gives you a gift, right? For example, every month, about a dozen to sometimes 20 people gather around me and Mary Kay and for an hour pray for us. Have you ever had that experience? Very few people have. I leave that meeting feeling like that was such incredible grace. Or every Christmas, a family in the church gives us this big Christmas basket with all these baked goodies in it. I mean, candies and breads and cakes and there's all kinds of note cards and there's always a theme to it and it's neatly wrapped and we open it on Christmas morning and it's such a gift how do you think we feel? How do I feel? The emotional response to grace is joy. The emotional response. What is the greatest grace ever given? What is the biggest gift ever given? <sighs> you know the answer. The answer is the gospel. The answer is Jesus the answer is the cross upon which Jesus bore our sin. And when you and I, regardless of the circumstances around us, focus on the grace of the gospel, do you know what emotional response you will feel regardless of circumstances? The answer is joy. Joy, biblical joy, is the emotional overflow of experiencing God's grace. That's why Paul can be in prison with an uncertain future. And he can write, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He knows nothing can separate him from Jesus. And where he finds Jesus, he has the joy of Jesus. So death, failure, betrayal, sickness, disappointment, none of these things can rob Paul of his joy. All right. The foundation of our joy is in Jesus. It is the Lord. Now that is true. Building upon that, there is something else that is so key. I really want you to listen up now. Let me illustrate it this way. I have done way over a hundred weddings. Let me tell you what part of the wedding that I really love. It actually is just before the wedding. 
I love hanging out with all the groomsmen and the groom just before we march out there together. Why? Because the groom is shaking, right? <laughs> he, he is typically so nervous. But the groomsmen, they are laid back. They are chilling out. They're high-fiving. They're telling stories about the groom. They are absolutely filled with joy. And what is their joy revolving around? Their joy is revolving around the groom. They're telling stories about the groom. Being in the presence of the groom. That's what's filling them with joy. John the Baptist picks up on this. Religious people come to him and say, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? This is how he answers in John chapter 3, verse 29 and 30. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Here's what he's saying. I'm just one of the groomsmen. That's all I am. And I'm standing here in the presence of the groom. Being in his presence and hearing his voice is a cause of joy for me. Then he says these words. He must increase but I must decrease. John the Baptist recognized Psalm 16, 11. In your presence is fullness of joy. And John the Baptist is saying, just me being in the presence of Jesus is fullness of joy. And my only job here is that he would increase and I would decrease. And so as I go low, and the lower I go, and the more I decrease, and the more I put the spotlight on him, something happens. Joy. <laughs> Joy. Regardless of the circumstances. To the extent... That I am in the presence of Jesus. To the extent that I lift up Jesus and decrease self. To that extent, I and you will experience joy. You can have all the toys. You can have all the trinkets but they won't provide you the thing that you really long for, joy. There are things that rob us of our joy, not knowing Jesus. You will have no joy apart from Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, you will only find joy in his presence. In the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. You have access to him through Jesus. Today is the day to fully trust him. If you are a believer, there are certain things that rob us of joy. 
guilt of the past. Whatever that guilt might be, it's forgiven. It was placed on the cross of Calvary. Any kind of besetting sin that you're engaging in, there will be no joy. Fear, anxiety, worry about the future, that will rob you of joy. Jesus says, I'm telling you these things that my joy would be in you and that your joy would be full. Jesus is saying that sorrow and joy can co-mingle together. Jesus is saying that in the midst of the affliction, you can actually find fullness of joy. This note card that um, Mary Kay picked up from her mom says it all. True joy is a byproduct of living in my presence. Joy is not dependent on circumstances. There is good medicine this morning. There is good medicine. A joyful heart is good medicine. Father, I pray for everyone now this morning who's watching online, who's here in the auditorium. We thank you that you have provided for a supernatural joy, joy inexpressible and full of glory, as Peter says. And I would pray now for those who are feeling sorrow, sorrow over the loss of a loved one, disappointment. I pray that in the midst of that sorrow, they would sense supernatural joy. I pray for those who are going through an affliction, a trouble, a tribulation, a trial, and they're thinking, Lord, what did I do to deserve this? This is not what I asked for. God, I pray that like Paul, in the midst of affliction, they would abound in your joy. Thank you that joy is found in a relationship with Jesus. And may his joy manifest itself in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.